Welcome to SoundMind, a podcast about physician wellness and medical culture. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline Gérin-Lajoie. Nearly a year ago, a professor at Texas A&M University predicted society would see a mass exodus of workers in the wake of the pandemic. Anthony Klotz called it the Great Resignation. He said COVID-19 caused workers to reflect on whether their jobs make them happy or provide them with a sense of purpose. Professor Klotz called this impulse to examine one's life the pandemic epiphany. Preliminary data from the Canadian Medical Association's National Physician Health Survey shows that many physicians are having their own epiphanies. Nearly half of Canada's physicians surveyed said they are considering reducing their clinical work in the next 24 months. This survey adds to previous research showing that increasing levels of burnout and dissatisfaction are causing physicians to consider quitting medicine altogether. Later in this episode, we will speak to Dr. Nadia Khan. She's an internist and professor at UBC who recently studied burnout amongst physicians. But first, we are going to speak with Dr. Kathy Bonapache, an OBGYN who recently became a mindful practice facilitator with the University of Rochester, New York. She just left her position at the hospital to make a space in her life to pursue the study of mindfulness and compassion and develop her musical creativity. Dr. Kathy Bonapache, merci d'être avec nous. Thank you so much for joining us. Ça me fait plaisir. It's my pleasure to be here. Kathy, in your last years in medicine, you held a number of positions. Can you tell us a little bit about the roles that you had? Sure. I guess with the reform in 2015, uh, the five hospitals in the region of Abitibi-Témiscamingue joined together. And so we formed a united OBGYN department and I became chair of that department. And I was chair of that department until the pandemic in 2020. I also had a position as the operating room coordinator starting in 2013, which was a role to help the uh, operating room function and involved uh, a lot of collaboration with the uh, administrative people at the hospital and also with the staff there and the, both uh, on the medical and nursing and uh, service part of, of the operating room. So that was... So you were obviously... A very busy physician. And I wonder, did you enjoy the work you were doing? Was it meaningful to you? I absolutely loved doing that because it was a challenge and I met so many wonderful people in that role. It, it was really, uh, really, I really enjoyed that role a lot. Both roles, in fact. So, Do you remember the moment when you started thinking about taking a break from medicine? I don't remember a moment in particular. Um, I think I'd always been sort of like postponing the decision to when I would slow down or do something different. It was kind of something I was putting off. It was very difficult for me, I think, to come to grip with the fact that I was getting older. And uh, when the pandemic started, just like a lot of people, we were all overwhelmed with this new entity and being that I was the operating room coordinator and the OBGYN uh, department chair, I was in meetings 
trying to figure out everything and also trying to set things up in the operating room, in the labor and delivery rooms and uh, trying to get everybody up to par on what was happening. And of course, uh, things would change in the middle of the night. And then the next day, what you were doing the day before was not the same. So I was pretty much reading during the night and updating people during the day and also working as an OBGYN in my hospital and doing calls. So it was very overwhelming. And I was very preoccupied with the health and well-being of the people around me and kept making sure and asking people if they were doing okay and if they needed to talk, they could call me. And of course, everybody could always call me anytime during the day, at night. And uh, the weekends, there was no limit to my availability for my team. And uh, the week, it's very funny because the week before I ended up not being able to go back, I was giving my team in the operating room a pep talk on, you know, on resilience and how, you know, they were so important and they were doing so well and had no idea that I would be the first one of that group to, uh, to not be able to continue. And so that was really funny for me because it showed that I wasn't really connected to what was happening in my body. And my body told me that it was time to stop because the day that I knew that I needed to stop was when I was operating on a patient and I was doing a hysterectomy and I just became so nauseous and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to throw up. I really have to finish this patient. And as soon as I finished that case, I just went to the area where we usually dictate and I closed the door and I laid on the floor with my feet up and I thought, oh my God, how am I going to get through the day? I still have four more cases to go. And I thought, that's not right. I can't do that. I cannot do that. My patients need me completely there. And I think that was the realization that... I needed to do something different and turned out that I had all kinds of GI symptoms and I started crying a lot and wasn't able to do anything, not even take care of myself at that point. And I was fortunate to have a family physician who worked with me, who's absolutely extraordinary. And so she put me on leave for a couple of weeks and then I was fortunate to be able to connect with the program for physicians, the PAMQ, the program to help physicians in Quebec, and was quickly referred to a psychologist who actually has become my life coach and with who I continue to visit with twice a week. At first, when you thought about just slowing down or cutting back on your workload, how was that received by your work environment? I think to start off with, it wasn't received very well by myself. (laughs) And I think that's probably the biggest problem is that I guess I never really permitted me to do that. And it felt like doing that would burden somebody else. And so it was mostly, I think, on my part that it was hard to permit myself to work less because that would involve that somebody would have to work more. And the culture around taking care of ourselves is not a culture that is valued a whole lot. Kathy, you described to us fairly clearly what happened on that day when your body told you that you could not continue. But I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more around what your thinking was when you finally decided to stop practicing. 
Oh, it took a long time before I decided to stop practicing. I really struggled with that. The first thing I had to do was like just start enjoying life again because everything seemed very bleak at the very beginning when all this happened. And so I, I, the process was to learn how to become mindful of the present moment and also to believe that I was not what I do. We are not what we do. I'm not a C-section. I'm not a delivery. I'm just the person, no matter what she does, I'm still the same person. So to realize that, to start off with, and to work through the mindfulness process and the mindful self-compassion. So, so I slowly work things up to accept that I was hoping to go back, but I knew that I couldn't go back with the leadership positions that I had. So the first step was to give those up, which took about six months for me to realize that and to send in my resignation for those positions. And then I was able to go back to practice, but in a very limited way with the medical note from my physician. And that was a gift from heaven because I was so happy to go back and I was so happy to see everybody. And I had so many people that gave me love that first day I was back doing, you know, call was just, it will be in my heart. This, the best souvenir that, I, that I'll remember from my practice is just that it was so much fun to be back with people, to be able to help my patients. And I went in there that first day and I had a forceps delivery and I don't know, I had this humongous call, but it was really fun. And so I was not able to go back at a full position. And so as the process went by, I went into the, um, I followed the different classes, the MBSR class. I did the mindful self-compassion class. I also did the core program with the University of Rochester, the mindful practice one, met some extraordinary people in there, and then went to do the facilitator class in December. And I that's exactly when I knew that it was time for me to move on to something different. It, I, at the end of that facilitator class, they ask you, where, where are you at and where are you going? And it just, I just knew it was, it was the time for me to move on to something different. In retrospect, if your workplace would have been more flexible and accommodating, do you think that you would have continued practicing? I don't know. I really don't know. I think it might have been but it's hard for me to know. I think the way the system is, the problem is that um, if you don't do the work of the full position, it's hard for us to add on people and it's, and it's almost unfair to the people that are there that, are, that have to do the rest of your work. So I think in one way, one of the reasons that I also left the entire practice was to let somebody younger come in to do the full work that needs to be done. Patients need to be seen, the calls need to be done, and it's an unfair burden to put on the younger people. So I guess the answer is maybe, but right now in the situations that we're in, it would have been really difficult to do that. So You've started giving us some glimpses into this uh, new journey that you've embarked on, but can you tell us a little bit more about how you see your future? Well, I think I see my future in basically the best would be to be living in the present moment and to be aware of the present moment. So what I would wish is to be aware of what happens between point A and point B when I'm going somewhere rather than get there and wonder how I got there. 
Also, I think by doing the mindful self-compassion that I'm doing and the mindfulness studies and the compassion studies and the readings, I've come to realize, and I always knew that very young, helping others was something that I enjoyed and it was something that I really liked to do. And by doing that, I feel like I'm even more able to do that. And so it just helps me connect better with people. And I think when we connect really well with ourselves, we connect so much better with people around us. I think in the future, I just want to develop more of those skills and those tools of awareness, insight, kindness, so I can see myself there. And hopefully, I think music has always helped me be connected to my emotions. And I'm really excited about going back to composing and creating and orchestrating, which I think is like the direction I'm taking in addition to this compassion and mindfulness studying. And when we spoke earlier, you said something that I thought was quite profound. You said, I will always be a doctor, but that I may explore other ways of helping people. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. I came to realize that and I thought, Again, when I was in second grade, I knew that helping others made me happy. You don't have to be doing the same thing to help people around you. You just have to be happy to do it. So I think I'm always going to be a doctor no matter what. And I'm just going to be a doctor helping people in other ways. So Kathy, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your wisdom and your insights. Kathy Bonapache is an OBGYN exploring new territories in mindfulness and compassion and in musical creativity. We're now going to bring in someone else in the conversation, Dr. Nadia Khan. Dr. Khan is a clinical scientist and internist in Vancouver. She was the lead author in a study that looked at burnout amongst physicians during the pandemic. Nadia, thank you for joining us. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Kathy just shared her personal story with us, but I wonder how similar it is to what you found in your study of burnout. Well, we certainly did see from our study, and the study was taken in 2020 and 2021 of the pandemic. And at that time, we saw that about a quarter of physicians already had either left a position or were intending to leave a position. And I think that what we've seen in actuality over that time is we have seen people leave. And for some people, it's leaving the profession altogether. For some people, it's just reducing the hours or their intensity of work. And for others, it's trying to resume back to the workload that they had prior to the pandemic. Because as we've seen during the pandemic, people have been really extending their work hours and increasing the number of weeks that they've worked. So there's been a a variety of people stepping back from different positions. And I think also importantly, we've seen people lose engagement from the work that they're doing, either if they were helping out with administrative work or collaborations with other members on their teams. A lot of that work has also been dropped in favor of trying to reduce their personal stresses. And what were your other findings around burnout rates in the physicians? We actually found that about two-thirds of physicians were experiencing burnout. And this was not a complete surprise because even before the pandemic, we had seen burnout rates all around the world ranging from 30% to 40 and sometimes even as high as 50%. 
these numbers that we found were quite a bit higher. And we also saw that they were happening across all groups. We surveyed surgical teams, medical teams, intensivists, psychiatrists, and we really saw burnout was really prevalent amongst all the groups. Some groups were as low as 30 to 40 percent, and yet others were in excess of 80 percent. So really it was touching on every group, uh, regardless of their age, regardless of how many children they had. So it was really widespread. And in your study, was there an age range or a demographic that you felt was particularly at risk? Actually, we did see that physicians that were aged about 35 years or younger were experiencing more burnout. And this is actually consistent with literature that's been shown in other studies of burnout, that this early career workforce is really experiencing burnout. And it, it could be that the people that were that were later career, they may be the quote-unquote survivors. So they've been in the system, they've weathered those storms, and they the people that had wanted to leave have already left. So it could be that we were just surveying people that were just newer to the system. But I think importantly there, it really speaks to a big culture shift in medicine overall. If we look back to hospitals, and that's really where our surveys took place from the 1960s, the 1970s, these are really places where physicians came to work and see patients. But we've seen a a massive shift in the way that hospitals are run. There's, And this is because of the complexity of patients. And we've seen increasingly more administration, more uh, regulations, more documentation, more of these kinds of complexities that really take physicians away from patients, more frustrations, electronic health records, all of these things. And I think that the earlier career physicians, it's a more significant contrast. So they they really can see this change. And I think they're much more apt for really looking at what they want in their career and really pointing out the fact that the system is broken We need to have it fixed. And they're finding it very difficult to work in this environment. And and they're pointing out mistakes or issues in the environment that have, have been there for a number of years, but they're much more aware and vocal about it. Nadia, were any of the results in your study surprising to you? I think there were a few findings we had. One was that about one quarter to one third of physicians were very hesitant or fearful to come forward to discuss work environment issues. And I really wasn't expecting that. And I also wasn't really expecting how widespread burnout would be. I really thought it would really be focusing on the physicians that were at the coalface dealing with patients directly that had COVID. But it, it really, again, speaks to the fact that even before the pandemic, there were the healthcare system was strained and physicians were feeling that strain. What were you seeing around you that made you think this topic would be interesting to research? Yeah, so I'm a more of a hypertension cardiovascular area researcher. So, you know, why was I studying burnout? And really, I had become the division head of our group in general internal medicine and was working also with the equity committee at our hospital. And we were really looking into equity issues and how this plays out in, in physician burnout. But At the same time, we were seeing a lot of physicians really, really expressing their moral distress, high stress loads, 
physicians were talking about leaving. So we really thought that this is potentially uh, the most important issue, high priority issue for us to deal with. And I think that this is a, a shift in thinking because the reason why hospitals and healthcare systems are the way that they are is because their focus has always been on the patient. And that's made a lot of sense. And even with the quadruple aim, which now includes physician and healthcare worker as uh, needing in, needing support, even though this is considered important by everyone, I don't think it's yet the priority that it needs. It's, it's kind of like climate change. It's very important. Everybody agrees with it. But if the only changes are changing from plastic to paper straws, really not going to make a big enough dent to make a difference. You've already mentioned some of the challenges that physicians face, but what are some of the biggest stresses that you've been hearing about? I think they really break out into a couple of categories. One is the amount of work. And certainly in our survey, we saw that physicians that were working, say, more than four weekend days per month were excessively burnt out. If they were working excessive hours in the week, they were more likely to be burnt out. But the other issue that we found throughout all of the surveys we had done was the inefficient work processes and the non-physician clerical work. And I think that's not really understood, especially by the public. It's just how much non-physician work is involved in the practice today of medicine. And that can be from just the sheer volume of documentation that's required, all the regulations that physicians are facing. And then things like the, the idea that everything is a two-factor authentication on every point. So, you know, we've got these electronic health records, but just the sheer number of keystrokes that is required, thousands per day, is leading to, to burnout. And I think that the real crux is, you know, when we, we were doing our focus group interviews, we asked a few simple questions to physicians, which was, what brings you joy in medicine? And when we asked that question, there were really three main um, facets that were really important for bringing joy. One was making patient connections, really. And I think that takes time and lack of pressure, just the ability to connect with your patient. The second was working with great colleagues. And the third was teaching. And I think that if we look at the way our healthcare system is today, we've really gotten away from many of those things. So electronic health records, the digital environment is really impairing our ability to work with colleagues, especially during the pandemic, we've become more isolated, more disconnected with others. And again, the just the high volumes of, of patients, the non-physician clerical work, all of those are, are eating away at the amount of time you have to have face-to-face -face interactions with patients. And that leads to worse patient care and increased burnout amongst physicians. Can you give us some examples of systemic changes that you think could be helpful to support physician wellness? Well, so just before I, I touch on that point, I just wanted to mention that all across healthcare systems, they've recognized the importance of burnout. And I think this is a really important point. Really, almost all of the interventions have been targeted towards improving physicians' resilience and their coping skills. 
And I think this is important, but the research really shows that it only makes a small dent in physician burnout. And we really have to focus on systems issues. And the two biggest issues are just that amount of work. So reducing weekends, reducing expectations, having more flexibility in your hours. Then the second is that inefficient work practices and the non-physician clerical work. So simple things like increasing your healthcare team. And oftentimes this means adding assistants, scribes. Does a physician have to do everything? Do they have to do all the documentation? Do they have to do all the medication reconciliations? We have spoken with physicians who are changing the bed sheets. We've spoken with physicians that are taking out garbage or clearing up trays. So do they have to do all the portering? Well, of course we have those systems in the hospitals, but to make the system more efficient, we probably need more of those that kind of help. There was this quote from Muhammad Ali that said, it isn't the mountains ahead to climb that wear you out, it's the pebble in your shoe. And so we had thought the pebble in your shoe was what we really need to work on, but there were in fact pebbles and mountains. And I think that we need to really look and really prioritize moving those mountains and all of the problems that we've seen, there are solutions that exist. It's just a matter of prioritizing those issues. You did your study examining how other physicians feel right now about medicine. Did these results resonate with you at a personal level? I think I I am very similar to many physicians in that I think two years into the pandemic, I'm personally very tired. And it is challenging to maintain hope and keep trying to work on issues and systems issues. And there's a really a lot of amazing people around me, a lot of people that have quite a bit of energy. And so I see that there are people like me that are, are very tired, but I think that it if we don't really solve the, the problems, the major systems issues and work on the work culture, the work quantity, we're not going to be able to resolve this even after the pandemic. And I think that we need to make sure that we do have a robust healthcare system and that physicians and, and nurses and lab techs and administrators are going to have the energy and to be able to meet those demands that are still upcoming. And one of my favorite quotes from our CMA president, Dr. Catherine Smart, is that there is no healthcare system without the healthcare providers. And that speaks to the quadruple aim principle that mm-hmm. you highlighted earlier in our interview, Nadia. So Nadia, thank you very much for joining us today and, and taking part in this very important and timely conversation. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Nadia Khan has many roles that include being an internist at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver and clinical researcher at UBC. SoundMind is produced by Podcraft Productions. If you're looking for resources, tools, and research on the topics covered today, please visit the CMA Physician Wellness Hub at cma.ca. And we'd love to hear what you think of SoundMind. Please consider giving us a rating or review through your favorite listening platform. I'm Dr. Caroline Gérin-Lajoie. Thank you for listening.